Hello, this is Simon LeBon. This week, Dan and Will are going track by track through our debut album, Duran Duran, released 40 years ago today. Hello. Hello. You're listening to Track by Track with me, Dan. And me, Will. This is the podcast where we take a great pop music album and break it down, track by track. And first things first, a huge thank you to the actual Mr. Simon Lebon for introducing today's episode. Because on the turntable this week, we have got Duran Duran by Duran Duran. Well, thank goodness for that, Dan. It would have been a bit awkward if we'd got Simon Lebon in to introduce an episode and it wasn't Duran Duran. It would have been a little bit, wouldn't it? Yeah. But what a momentous occasion this is, Will. And what a huge, incredible episode this is going to be. Yes, it's the last track by track uh, in the current run uh, for now. Uh, and we're definitely going out with a bang. Um, and that doesn't mean that something dramatic is going to happen because it's the last one. Uh, it just means we've got uh, a really good episode planned. Really good. We've had Simon... We might have another member of Duran Duran later. And we've got lots of special guests who want to introduce some songs and also talk about their love of Duran Duran, which I think will might even rival our love of Duran Duran. Is it going to be like one of those uh, clip shows you get on telly where lots of different people talk about things, uh, but it's not the main people. It's like D-list comedians and reality TV stars. So what you're asking, Will, is are we going to be hearing from the Crankies and Dusty Bin on what Duran Duran means to them? Well, Dan, it's not the first time uh, people have said the Crankies and Dusty Bin when talking about Trap by Trap. So. <laughs> but, Will, we do have some incredible names. So if you want, Will, if you want some sort of montage or collection of them talking about Duran Duran... Well, then let's have a bit of that now. Hi, this is Courtney from the Dandy Warhols, and we are talking about uh, the first Duran Duran record, eponymously titled, and just what an influential and groundbreaking record it was. Um, it produced a great ripple across the world, and it was assisted by this new thing called MTV, which when I was uh, a young teenager was a source of all things awesome and some things not as awesome. This was awesome. Uh, after we did the record with Nick and the rest of the band was in Studio A and we were in like Studio X or something, some tiny little studio. But we saw the band all the time and we, we hung out and we got those guys on our record. And it was really cool, you know, because, uh, you know, they were heroes of mine and Peter's. And we were just so excited to, to, to meet them. Um, this record in particular, their first one, was, was absolutely pivotal in my life of uh, ending the young suburban rock life as a kid and becoming a teenager into new music. And these songs are just so phenomenal and cool. The production was so fresh and, and uh, the use of, of 
synthesizers. Hi, this is Hazel O'Connor. Well, it was great because Duran Duran were actually my support band on my first big tour when I'd just done Breaking Glass. And so I got to know them during the tour and um, they had a pretty rough time on my tour, to be honest. They were enjoyed by a lot of my fans, but quite a few of my fans were very um, punky and um, spitty and uh, they were not keen on the new romantic thing at all. Myself and my band loved them and spent um, time getting ready to go on stage. We would always run out to the hall to watch Duran Duran play Planet Earth. Um, that was my band and mine's favourite song of theirs. The other thing I remember was they never uh, could afford to have uh, hotel rooms for everybody. So what they would do is they would take one hotel room and the rest of the band would sleep in a camper van outside. I remember it being, you know, a real old camper van. But years later, I interviewed John Taylor and he swore blind it was a Winnebago. I don't think there were such things as Winnebago's in 1980. But you know what I mean? <laughs> I know it's been many Winnebago's since, that's for sure. Duran Duran had more intricate and very Englishy chord changes, and I believe that was, you know, going to be Nick's influence, and that was sort of his specialty. It was just really beautiful chord changes. And then Simon, I don't know how he did it. He's just a man who really feels melodies and notes, and and sort of like Michelangelo said, he never carved anything. He just removed rock until the the thing that was in there got revealed and that's that's how it feels for me to listen to Simon just it's it's natural it like it comes in through him and out through his mouth and it and he didn't have to do anything it just happened hey what's up this is now Rogers I don't think there's anybody in history that when I first met that I got along with as much as I did Duran Duran Right from the word go, we were best friends. I mean, we were we were almost like giddy, like children. We were running around the venue, acting really, really stupid. <laughs> I've never done that with anyone before. It was almost like we were children playing hide-and-go-seek from the rest of the world. It was very, very strange. So after we hung out and talked and just, you know, we're just like crazy kids partying and losing our minds... They told me how much they loved Chic, uh, which was interesting because I really loved Duran Duran at that time. Their sound was uniquely theirs, and at a time when music was really shifting from what we would call, I guess, the traditional disco into the more, what we would, I guess we would deem it new romantic, which actually new romantic, you know, sort of had a very wide category of sounds and bands just as disco and R&B did. There had to be, at that point, a lot of innovative guitar playing because the 70s had pretty much worn out every 60s jump forward. So you had these guys like Andy Taylor, Johnny Marr, probably The Edge. These were very accomplished young guitar players who had grown up in the 70s 
but were very uh, influenced by cool early 70s glam guitarists like Mick Ronson, you know, who was Bowie's guy back in the Spiders of Mars. So they they had exciting ideas and they were just really musical, but they had to play with such great restraint and, um, you know, this sort of fresh angularity to what they did. And that, and they, Duran Duran, for being from, from a, an industrial armpit uh, at the time, I, I don't really know what Birmingham's like now, it was probably very similar to Portland, Oregon, growing up here, where you basically played punk clubs and you went in there with your weird amps and your cheap keyboards and you were a new wavy, punky, new romantic band. Hi, I'm Don Brown. Joanne were a big presence in my household. I have I have two sisters who were both big fans of the band. Um, one particularly, she had all the albums, uh, singles, walls of plastered with the uh, posters, and she played the music, you know, day and night basically. So um, I think it was just kind of seeped into my subconscious, which is really useful actually because um, when I when I first played with the guys um, 17 years ago, it made the whole process of learning the music for me so much simpler. Hi, this is MNDR. When I think of Duran Duran, I think of a group that has shaped me as an artist, as a producer, as a, as a songwriter, as a lyricist, and it's probably one of the biggest influences in my life, and I just couldn't believe that I got, had the, you know, I humbly say I had the, the opportunity to fill in for the great iconic Nick Rhodes, you know, one of the synth pioneers. Um, when we did the, the Paper Gods tour, that just blew my mind because I got to just dig in and play these iconic keyboard parts that are just so beautifully written. And they're, they're some of the most important and recognizable and hookiest keyboard synth parts to ever be written and to play them every night on a tour just and just to be standing in the presence of like hit after hit after hit after hit it just is astounding how many hit songs that this band wrote my name's Ian Little to think it's half a lifetime ago that Duran Duran uh, released their debut album and I can remember at the time you know there was a lot of it was part of the whole new romantic thing we'd had punk in the late 70s and then new wave that an indie that came out at the start of the 80s and this was 80 81 and uh, the new romantic movement had come out of that you know the whole new wave movement that had sort of made punk a little more accessible and then new romantics went one step further. The idea of having a very visual, um, you know, a particularly striking visual image along with their music was, was all part of that idea. The thing that impressed me most about Duran from the get-go was the fact that they were a proper band, um, you know, five-piece at that. Uh, so, you know, comparisons with the Beatles, the Fab Five, you know, they were all good looking young guys um, and could ease. And, it, and, and to be honest, in some ways, I sort of slightly dismissive of them because of that. But when, the, when you listen to the music, 
there was an edginess about them that, that I liked. I guess from that first album, I must have played all the songs at some time or other over the years with, with the guys, at least once. Um, obviously, girls on film Planet Earth have played on most shows. Maybe To The Shore, actually. I'm not sure I've ever played that. But every, every other song at one point I have. And um, oh, Careless Memories is one of my favourites to play. Yeah, I love that one. It's a great straight-ahead track. Hi, this is Errol Alcan. As far as musical influences go, I've never really hidden my love for Duran Duran. And I've always focused that on the fact that I felt that they made great club records as well as great pop records. So when I was DJing at Trash, I would always play the occasional Duran Duran Night version in there because I, I just felt they just embodied the spirit of what that club or part of that club was about. You know, it was about uh, infectious rhythms, melodies, which kind of took, for, for me, um, a lot of like golden moments from a lot of brilliant uh, Western pop music. Um, I also felt that they had an image which kind of transcended, it felt, you know, their their everyday, which encouraged you to kind of transcend your everyday. Oh, there's John on the bass. Unbelievable. Perfect bass player, absolutely perfect. Uh, yeah, that, gosh, the bass, the drums, the drum, drum production was perfect. They took the best parts of the German avant-garde scene, didn't stray from truly fat, beautiful, kind of disco-y grooves. But I've always been keen on what they're doing. I do think that they have, at, the, at their heart, they do have uh, an, this, this avant-garde slant in there which has always held my curiosity at every point in their career and I also like from knowing them now and knowing that uh, each member and what they bring to what makes the full DNA of the band you know what I had heard previously and what I got excited about previously like going back all through the years you know just just kind of be able to recognize that from a different angle that has been quite interesting and and um and really brilliant you know when i think of duran duran you know now i just think of like i can't really think of another group that can rival their passion for music and their consistency in albums and it's just astounding how much they love music and how that transcends every era they've been in. When we started like, messing around the studio on the first day, kind of tell that something good was going to happen. It didn't feel um, like a band who are on you know, album 15 and 40 years into a career. It felt very uh, exciting and fresh and um, and it, it, it felt like everyone really was... You know, driven to make something brilliant. 
Our friendship and our camaraderie has been amazing since day one, and it continues to this very day. I actually call them my other chic. They were my favorite boys on the block. My memories of them are wide and gorgeous and beautiful, lovely lads, special boys, and of course special men now. None of us boys and girls anymore. We're 40 years on. Who would have believed it? love them all so much and they invited me into their family along with the Durannies and I felt like a real family member and it was sweet. Happy days long may Duran Duran continue. Yeah they were cool they were just so cool. Well, well that was certainly a hall of fame of uh, notable people. So Dan who are Duran Duran? Well, I can tell you, uh, they are a uh, English band formed in Birmingham. Uh, and Dan, there are many male members involved in this. Can you just run down the members? Happily. So we have Simon LeBon, Nick Rhodes, Andy Taylor, John Taylor and Roger Taylor in this lineup of Duran Duran, the original lineup on the debut album. We've talked about Duran Duran a few times over the years, most recently on the All You Need Is Now episode. And as we said then, the current lineup of Duran Duran is all four of those except Andy, who left a few years ago for the second time to pursue some of his uh, solo work and is also now a member of Reef. Duran Duran are back with us again now uh, with a new single and an album coming later in the year. So it feels very appropriate that we go right back to the beginning today on Track by Track and talk about the debut album from Duran Duran. Uh, this was released in 1981. And Dan, what were your first memories of this record? I'm sure I've mentioned a few times on Track by Track that I really started listening to 80s music because my mum and dad were huge fans. My dad would play the fantastic 80s compilations that kind of had the Rubik's Cubes on the front. He would play them every weekend. And it was Duran Duran that stuck out to me as the sound that I enjoyed. And so around the time of the band getting back together, so very early 2000s, they started to reissue some of those early albums. And I remember we went to uh, on a trip to Meadow Hall in Sheffield, the shopping centre, and I raced to HMV because I knew these albums were there. And I imagine the excitement for me was probably what it was like for people on release day way back in 1981, because I got the gatefold CD. I took it home in the car. We only had a cassette player in that car. I can't believe that for the early 2000s. I had to wait to get home to play it. And although I'd heard the greatest album before and other bits and bobs, I'd never listened to a studio album start to finish. Uh, So it was very exciting. And I was not disappointed, Will. A yes or no would have sufficed, uh, even though I didn't ask you a question that elicited a yes or no answer. What are your memories of Duran Duran? No. <laughs> will, what are your memories of Duran Duran? Because as you alluded to, and I don't bring it up on the podcast often, and I don't like to mention it often, but you're a couple of years older than me, so your memories of them might be earlier. What, what's your first memory of them? Uh, it's much later. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying that to uh, disagree with you, even though I do enjoy doing that. But I think, I mean, you are the biggest Duran Duran fan out of out of us in the world. And I think I definitely came later to Duran Duran, and I enjoyed some of their singles alongside you know some of the other big tracks of the eighties. 
but it, I didn't really delve into them in de- in de- into detail until probably the last 10 years or so. I think as my music tastes have broadened and matured as well a little bit. Um, and I think, you know, you get to you get a bit older and you just start opening your mind a little bit more, don't you, to other music? Definitely. Hopefully, anyway. But what's interesting, I find, with me particularly, is that we talk a lot about bands that were formed in the 80s. We talk about New Order, Depeche Mode, Aha, etc. Loads of uh, 80s formed bands. And often, or maybe 50% of the time, I much prefer their later work. Um, bands like Depeche Mode, I rarely listen to their first album. But with Duran Duran, for me, it is about the whole back catalogue. I love this album as much as I love Paper Gods from um, 2015. I think that they've always uh, pushed themselves. They've always embraced new technology. And for me, every album is just a quality production. Kicking off with this one. So should we kick off? Let's kick off. And what better person to introduce the first track on Duran Duran's first album than the producer who has just worked on their latest single, Mr. Errol Alken. Next up is a song which I have played regularly in DJ sets. The extended version of Girls of Film, the night version, is one that I would play in techno clubs up and down the country and around the world, especially around 2003. I actually used it on a cover mount CD for Music Magazine around then as well. And it sat amongst a load of electronic records that were like... I felt had a similar kind of sensibility to what Girls on Film has. And Girls on Film is a record which it it has just this energy which can unite a room of boys and girls and can just turn a room upside down, I think, as as a, as just a brilliant, brilliant disco record. I think it still sounds great. I think, you know, it sounds like it's, being played at a kind of rate where it's just on the point of kind of falling apart for its urgency, you know, but in a really controlled way, like the way it's kind of pushing ahead of itself slowly. They sound like an an alternative band, like a new wave band in this making a disco record, which is obviously what it was, but it still sounds like that now, even though disco and new wave goalposts have kind of, moved around so much in that time I think it still hits the target really beautifully So girls on film there, side one, track one. Not opening the album with single one, Will. How are you feeling about that? I'm fine with it because this is a great way to start. And although it's not single one, I think you'd be forgiven for thinking this wasn't what their debut. Because I guess in my mind, you imagine Duran Duran to be delivering a hit straight out of the gates. But this was in fact the third single. This was the third single, yeah. And this was undeniably the biggest hit from the album. Um, But actually, I think think in not having single one as track one, they are already establishing themselves as an album's band, not just a singles band. 
And I think that was probably important back then because around this time, or maybe just slightly after this, is this is when they were plastered all over Smash Hits magazine and whatever else was around at the time. And then there was that sort of constant battle for them as, you know, proving themselves as musicians and an actual band and not just these poster pinups. Um, but what a way to kick off this album. What a way. I mean, this is one of their most notable tracks, especially if you're more of a casual listener or a fan of 80s synth pop tracks. This is this is up there. And I think it's that iconic opening. The camera shutters. The camera shutters. It's got more it's got a more iconic opening than uh, than Sharon Stone in that film. <laughs> this I think well, this is one of my favorite singles of theirs ever, but particularly one of their fav- one of my favourites from the eighties. And I think whereas, you know, there's some you know, they've got so more hits than most bands could ever hope to have just from that one decade. But this one, I think just there's something about the edginess of the production, of the guitar, of how the synths glide through it, the amazing drums, the bass, the elements that make Duran Duran, and also all of the influences of theirs from Chic to The Clash to Roxy Music to The Sex Pistols. I think you hear it more in this one than you do on a lot of those tracks. And this... I mean, it's just, I mean, their original version was just the half of it because this has been covered so many times over the years, hasn't it, by all and sundry. So just, I'm just going to throw a few names out there, Dan. Uh, Bjorn Again, uh, Girls Aloud, Billy Preston, Midnight Oil, Cord Overstreet, who you might remember from Glee as well. Uh, and it's been remixed many times as well. You have got the night version, uh, but you've also had the likes of Tintin Out remix it um, from the late 90s, but also Tall Paul. Funny you should mention that, Will, because we were lucky enough to hear from Mr. Paul himself, or Mr. Tall, I'm not sure. Uh, he remixed it in 1999 to tie in with the release of the greatest compilation so let's get his memories on that. Hi, this is Tall Paul. I was uh, very honoured to be asked to um, do a dance mix of one of Duran Duran's big tracks. I got my hands on the Girls on Film, which obviously was a huge track, and uh, just done a beefy danced up underground mix specifically for Trade, a nightclub that I was heavily involved with and they liked it crazy and fast and that was a big track that got played down there so yeah lots of people really enjoyed that mix and uh used to rock the crowd down there lots of people enjoyed it had loads of fun to it tall is he did he say when you got in contact with him dan four foot seven. Oh, plot twist great <laughs> apparently it's irony i didn't get it <laughs> no he sounded quite he sounded quite tall and now this one will as you said it's one, it's one of their most well-known songs it is constantly 
on their set lists more often than not in the encore. And I have to say, one of my favorite versions of this song is a live recorded version. It was on the Live from London DVD and album that came out. It was uh, on the back of the reunion of all five members and no live performance or there's no live performance I watch back that gives me more joy than seeing the band perform that. It's the, the electric on that stage is incredible. Well, and that's quite an accolade coming from you, Dan, because I know you're, you're, you're quite sniffy about live performances. I'm quite the critic, Will, but that one is stunning. In fact, that whole live album slash film is phenomenal. Now, Will, it hasn't escaped my notice that we have spoken for a short while on Girls on Film and not yet mentioned the music video. Do you know what? I knew you were going to say that next. Actually, I, I, I didn't because I was about to interrupt you to talk about Girls Aloud. So do please carry on. But I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sure most of our listeners have seen it. One of the most iconic videos, not only in their own repertoire, which features some epic things, but also, I think, of all time. It was directed by Godly and Cream of 10cc fame. You know, I'm not in love and rubber bullets. Um, But it was just the most controversial thing at the time. Um, Nowadays, probably quite tame. Well, also, Dan, the... the costumes in this video it's like a who's a what what of your wardrobe uh because you've got uh loincloths and teddies nurses uniforms suspenders stockings g-string nurses outfits uh and a water hose and i did suggest to you actually i thought because this is a huge episode for us i thought it might be quite fun on the socials to recreate some of the scenes from girls on film you weren't up for it were you no, but I see you're wearing a fur coat and no knickers. You're incorrect there, actually. Well, I'm wearing no coat and fur knickers. <laughs> and before we move on, Dan, this was, uh, like, as we were saying, their first big notable hit. It got to number five in the UK singles chart. So track two now and single one. And to introduce this one, over to the legendary Hazel O'Connor. Next up is that song that myself and the band used to always go out and watch when they were supporting me on my first tour. It was my favourite song of all time of theirs, (laughs) and it's Planet Earth. So Planet Earth, and thanks once again to the lovely Hazel O'Connor. Uh, this, I love the urgency in this track, Dan. And then this is the first single released. Um, and for me, it's very catchy, very instant. But it's obviously it obviously wasn't that so much for everybody else. Otherwise, it would have been a much bigger hit. Yeah, it definitely feels like one of their greatest hits, doesn't it? And it's another one that you can't imagine seeing them live and this one not being performed. But, you know, later down the line, they would have number ones. But yeah, this one peaked at number 12. But, Will, to put that into comparison, I think we talk about some acts and their first singles, you know, don't even scrape the top 40. Some don't even get inside the top 100. So I think, you know, it was a a, a decent enough hit. It made enough of an impression for them to, to become who they are today. Uh, there's some lovely touches in there, some great synth work, um, some lovely sort of, 
ding dingling synth synth work uh in the background also vocally uh, the inflections and the vocals on there i think are just so melancholic but also just that quintessential what duran duran will come on to do so well through their career definitely and i think you know this was of course single one this was their mission statement and simon lebon's vocal it's just iconic isn't it and it's unique as well i don't think there's anyone else out there who sounds like simon um and funnily enough he didn't really think of himself as the best singer in the world for a few years but even today, in fact, I actually think his voice has got better with age. When he sings some of the later tracks, his voice is phenomenal. Oh, Dan, I think we're going to have to get that wet floor sign out quite early on in recording of today's episode. But yeah, the synth, the synth work is fantastic. And what I love about this track is that the synths and the guitars kind of glide along together. And you know, this is what separates Duran Duran from other bands in the around this time maybe some of the rockier things that were happening around this time it was the the combination of the two and how Andy and Nick you know if even in terms of personalities two very different characters two you know different instruments but when they come together they create magic and I think and this song it's I said this about girls on film actually but you get to hear every single one of those five elements each taking center stage throughout this song oh Spice Girls and this is one of many videos, you know, we were talking about girls on film, you know, much admired, much revered for their music videos as much as their songs as well. So much so. Yes, this one was, I wouldn't say parodied, let's say recreated or an homage was paid from the Dandy Warhols on their album, Welcome to the Monkey House, which was produced with Nick Rhodes and featured Simon Abon on a couple of tracks on there. So who better to talk a little bit about that than Courtney Taylor-Taylor of the Dandy Warhols? After working on this record for, I don't know, a year and a half or so, um, it was, I was so excited to release a record that we had produced with, with Nick Rhodes. And I was such a fan of this video and it really sort of shaped my personal style when I was that young. So I, I just thought, well, we're the Dandy Warhols. I mean, what what better to do than to just cop a, a heavily influential video um, to the best of our ability, which, you know, we, we, we didn't redo it exactly, but we, we did a, as good a job as we could and had to fudge some other things into our version of the video uh, because we couldn't get the... The dancers with those outfits, I wouldn't try to compete with that. The simplicity and the the cool of, of those two people dancing and what they're doing, I, I, I thought was a little beyond my abilities uh, to, to source the, you know, the style, the talent, the costumes and what have you. But Planet Earth, um, you know, landmark video in my mind. Thank you, Dandy, there for that. <laughs> Is his name Dandy? Courtney Lovey. Courtney Love. Courtney Love? Courtney Act. Courtney Act? <laughs> no, who was his name? Courtney Taylor Taylor. He was such a big fan of Duran Duran, he named himself after two members of the band. I think he knew that Andy wasn't going to be around forever, and that's why he didn't put the third one on there. But what a fascinating insight. Yeah, genuinely. It's also just... 
as a fan of both Duran Duran and the Dandy Warhols, it's lovely to hear how how much he was inspired by them. Just a quick fun fact. Uh, William Shatner covered this song for uh, one of his albums. I have to say, I quite often I like a Duran Duran cover because I like seeing how someone has interpreted it. That one's not often on my playlists. Oh, shame. Sorry, Shatty lovey. Uh, do you, did you did I ever tell you my William Shatner joke? <laughs> For the purpose of this podcast, no. Well, I was a guest at a uh, celebrity-invited Star Trek fetish party. And there was all sorts of things going on. And there were lots of special guests from various Star Trek films and TV uh, series. Uh, and there was lots of whips and chains and things going on. Uh, and there was a, a lady lying beneath a glass coffee table. Uh, and William Shatner. <laughs> Before we move on from planet Earth, can't not mention the line, some new romantics looking for the TV sound. Some new romantics, of course, uh, you know, they were new romantics. Mm, they yes. kick-started the new romantic movement. Uh and such an important and played such an important part that did they coin the phrase? I'm not sure. Uh, it remains to be seen if they did or not. It's a mm. good way of saying we don't know and we're not going to find out. I've heard a couple of stories. None as good as your uh, William Shatner story. Thank you very much. Let's move on then. So track number three. And introducing this one, an old friend of the podcast, I think we can say now, Will. And a very good friend of Duran Duran, Mr. Nile Rogers. Next up is anyone out there. You know, I remember when I first heard the first Duran Duran album and I heard this song and Simon's unique take on harmony, not only his unique take on harmony, but actually his melody writing and singing. So he's one of those people in rock and roll that has an absolutely distinctive sound. When you hear Simon Le Bon, you know it's him. And his sense of harmony was just so interesting to me. And this song exemplifies it. Oh, and John Taylor's bass, <laughs> when he started popping, even though in today's world, it would probably be considered loud and overdone. But back in the day, you know, we love to feature musicianship. We love to feature instruments. And it was such an incredible part of this song once he starts, you know, just popping. And also he uses techniques that weren't really that common in rock and roll, but very common in R&B. You know, he's playing harmonics and just, you know, jamming. This is just a really special song. And it was... It was a great introduction to the world of Simon Le Bon's ability and the band's unique sound. It was so Duran Duran, and it's interesting that to this day, they still sound like Duran Duran. And Will, I say this a lot, but if you were getting this album for the first time and you just heard the singles, this is an exciting song because this is the first 
album track or non-single. And I think it's a great example of, you know, it sounds, it's got that sound, it's got that Duran Duran 1981 sound, but it's very much an album track as well, isn't it? It is. It's, again, it's got that urgency the second track had, but it isn't quite as banging as the first two tracks. And I don't mind that because it's a great first album track. Exactly. And of course, as we always say on this podcast, you know, we celebrate album tracks. There has to be album tracks to match the singles. This one for me, I think it's actually the base of this one. It just is so prominent. And, you know, some some bands kind of turn the bass down a little bit. For me, I like the bass loud. And on here, it's it's not just kind of bumping along in the background. It's, you know, it's especially right at the end there, he's John Taylor is giving it some. And then lyrically, lyrically, this one, like a lot of songs, touches upon sort of space and what's out there. We've had Planet Earth uh, in lots of other tracks. They'd reference the planets. Uh, now they're asking, is there anyone out there? Will, I think there is. Uh, there's got to be, hasn't there? What do you th- I think? I think so. I mean, I think we'd be very arrogant to assume it's just us in the universe. You normally do arrogance quite well, though. Yeah, but not not something this big. <laughs> now, I have to say, I don't think I've heard this song live. They, they're quite generous with putting some old album tracks out of the bag. But this one, I've yet to hear. So I'd love to hear this on a set list one day. In fact, I think they've said they wouldn't do it. It doesn't really appeal to them to play an old album in full. Um, but I'd absolutely love to hear this whole album start to finish. Sequential. That'd be great, wouldn't it? I do like when bands do that, when they play a an album in full. I'd love for them to take it further and not just do that, but then do all of the extra... Because they're obviously just performing nine or ten tracks. It would be over very quickly. So you'd want to hear some of the B-sides, some of the stuff that didn't quite make it, some longer versions as well. Really give it the deluxe edition treatment. Well, we can but hope. But yeah, this one would sound stunning. When they released Red Carpet Massacre a few years ago, they performed that in full. They had uh, a residency at the theatre in New York. And then I think they did a couple of dates in London, in the West End as well. But uh, yeah, and I'd love for the Obviously, you know, the new album's coming out later this year, Future Past. And they, like, they, are, they are a band that like to look forward. But I think a lot of fans would be very happy to hear some of these older album tracks. As I said before, they've they've picked out... The odd bit here and there before, um, but there's a lot on here that would just go down an absolute storm. So track four now, and to introduce this one, MNDR. And the next song up is To The Shore. But before that, I forgot to mention, <laughs> if I may, um, I I just need to pull out this one memory, is when I was on tour, um with them on Paper Gods. We played a festival in San Francisco on this amazing stage with an amazing lineup on this stage. It was just incredible. And the band wanted to play the chauffeur and I just couldn't believe I was ha- I was given the opportunity to perform one of my favorite songs with my absolute favorite band of all time. And it was so beautiful to play this iconic keyboard line. <laughs> And to hear that song perform live, it really brought me to tears. So thank you all. That was probably 
the memory I hold most dear to my heart. Um, with that being said, um, next up is To the Shore. Diamond stars shine, glitter bright, gorging your the shore there and what a great time to talk about the fantastic album artwork dan you're raising your eyebrows at me there like you always do when i say that i know it's, uh, i do it every time don't i it was always going to be a tough choice this week but to the shore feels like the right place so let's have a look at the album artwork uh and i have to say it's very uh very nice i love the picture it's you've got so many things on there of notes. You've got some wonderful hairstyles, some fabulous gentlemen's tailoring, uh, pun intended. Uh, also, the logo Duran Duran looks like uh, the logo of an aeroplane company. Yes, you're not wrong there. Well, I wonder if that was something to do with, as we said before, they've got a lot of space age influences. I wonder if that played a part with that. I thought it was more linked to Thomas Cook or Lun, <laughs> Lun Polly. <laughs> but uh it's a it's a great cover nice and simple very much of its time but actually that would be an amazing album cover for an album released in 2021 absolutely i love it when i got the cd as i told you it came on in a gatefold cardboard sleeve and that strip across the photo of the band was uh, was silver not not real silver i imagine but uh you know it was shiny and as a magpie i quite enjoyed that well, it could have been real silver. Was it expensive? About nine ninety nine, I think. It wasn't silver. <laughs> I love as well, when you look at any kind of photos of the band, particularly all five members of the band after this, Nick is blonde and Andy has got dark hair. But here, it's the only kind of only time of the band where they switch sides. Uh, what do you think of the track, Dan? So I really like this song because I think it really plays to their more experimental side. We've had so far, we've had the two singles and then we've had anyone out there, which was kind of very much in the same vein. But I think Duran Duran are a band who who like to experiment. We said before, some of the influences they have, people like uh, Chic and Roxy Music, but also they were big fans of Bowie, they were big fans of Japan. Uh, and I think here you really see that the synth work in this one is stunning. And then that combined with the lyrics, which a lot of these early lyrics came from poetry that Simon had written. I think you hear it in this song more than any other. And I'm not going to recite any to you now, Will, because I know that makes you feel very uncomfortable. But I would definitely say read the read the lyrics of this song and it works as a poem. In fact, Will, if I go before you, I'd be quite happy for you to read this at my uh, my wake. Oh, I can't make it, I'm afraid. I uh, can't get the day off work. Oh, dear. <laughs> this, I mean, it's 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 a good track. I like it, Dan, but it's just not as, doesn't grab me as much as the other tracks on this album. And you're probably not alone there, Will, because in 1983, this album was re-released in America as the band rose to fame on the other side of the pond. But they added a new track to the album in place of this song. 
Uh, they added, is there something I should know, which became their first UK number one, went straight in at number one. And that song was produced by a new collaborator of theirs at the time, Ian Little. So to discuss the track, over to Ian. What they decided was that they needed to release a single in the spring of 83 to keep them in the public consciousness, as simple as that. And so uh, after Colin Thurston had produced the first two albums beautifully, I mean, it was a very musical approach he adopted, but it brought the best out of their songs. Um, but by that point, the, the band felt that they knew enough about being in the studio, they wanted to take some responsibility for production, and so they wanted someone new that they could co-produce with. Of course, the first thing I asked the band was, well, what are the demos? Can I hear the demos, the, the songs you're, you're sort of thinking of recording, which, which, so we can choose the songs we've got? They said, well, we haven't got any. I said, what? And I, I'd never worked with a band before that hadn't got songs written waiting to be recorded so it was all started there and then in the studio um andy had got that guitar riff which you know so well if you know the single that was the starting point and the rest of the band gravitated around andy's guitar phrase and built the track from there and it was a wonderful experience for me i learned a lot about them as as both people and as a band and um the resulting uh, result of our efforts was the single please please tell me now is there something i should know which went straight in at number one uh, and although that became quite commonplace in the following decade at that time i seem to remember finding out that it was only the 17th record or something like that it was certainly less than 20 that had ever gone in at number one since the charts began in the 50s so it was quite an achievement So, Will, there is something I should know. What do you think to that one in place of To The Shore? I'd, uh, that's a, a great substitution for me. It's one of my favourite Duran Duran tracks. Uh, it's just so instant, uh, so catchy, uh, and it's brilliant. I do love that track. and But for me, I love it when bands have a standalone single that kind of just doesn't quite fit in with the album. They did it again a few years later with... A View to a Kill. Um, the Wild Boys kind of wasn't on a studio album, but I love that. Uh, is there something I should know? You know, it, it's more almost got quite a Beatles influence to the guitar and some of the vocals and the, uh, some of the background vocals. So great song. Love it. But for me, I, lo- I like when we have different opinions, Will, because it shows that, you know, we're not following each other. For me, To the Shore undeniably is the better fit on the album. Also, is there something I should know, uh, covered by All Stars? I love that. All Stars covered them. Girls Aloud have covered them. All Saints have covered them. The pop bands love Duran Duran. And I'm not surprised because they're so, the, the track, some of these tracks are so timeless. Let's move on, though, to uh, actual track five. And to introduce this one, Will, you. And this is Careless Memories. Outside the 
Careless Memories there. Not to be confused with Careless Whisper. Uh, and I would never do such a thing. Uh, and this is Careless Whisper. Memories. And you can't actually, because when you listen to this track, it is so the opposite of a song like Careless Whisper because of how heavy, hard and heavy this one is, Dan. It really is. And it comes as a bit of a shock, I think, on the album. Um, and particularly if you, if, again, if you were a casual fan and then listen to this, you might not even have known this song because, you know, it was a single, but it's not one of their greatest. It didn't even appear on the greatest album. Um but I love this sound and I love how we're getting to hear some of their, their edgier, their rockier, their more raucous sound. Um, this one is another one that sounded absolutely phenomenal on the Live From London shows. And they still, you know, you'll quite often find it on the set list still because despite it not being a huge hit, it goes down a storm live. And I think for the band, it's probably just really fun to play as well. This, yeah, you did say this was a single. It was the second single. It uh, didn't really do too much. Got to number 37. Uh, I can kind of understand why it maybe wasn't hit material because it isn't immediately accessible. For me, once you get two minutes deep into that this song, it's just all going on. Brilliant. But yeah, so second single, After Planet Earth, before Girls on Film, uh, number 37. But thankfully, the last one of their releases to not do incredibly well for some time <laughs> let's let's be honest i'm you let's, know i'm not i'm not yeah, slating them no, favorite band in the world but no. later down the line there would be a few misses boom, of the charts notes. yeah absolutely um, but it it did turn out that actually the band didn't want this release as the second single it was the record company that made that happen and so when it did chart at 37 the band got to choose the next single which was girls on film and the rest is history. So it is, you know, it's one of those cases where it worked out all right in the end, but it just goes to show, you know, trust the band. They wrote the songs. They know the songs. Let them, you know, let them choose the singles. I've often thought it must be frustrating when you are in a band and, you know, those songs are your own. And then then it is up to someone else to decide what's the single. Mm, mm. We, obviously, we don't have that issue yet, Will. No, but if we had to choose our favourite episodes and our favourite groups uh, or it, the decision got taken away from us, be quite irate, you mm. would be. Mm. More than usual. Yeah, even more than usual. Also, I do have to say, this is the only early song that doesn't have a night version or an extended version. I keep hoping that one day they'll just dig one out. I, I, mean, I don't think it exists because we've had lots of special edition versions and things like that, but I would love an extended version of this song. Oh, yeah, it's almost begging for it, isn't it? With just how it, you know, that middle of the track itself, you know, could have, could go on and on. It's so good. Also, before we go from this one, I can't not talk about it. I said how good it was live. But when they were playing this live on the uh, original lineup tour, there on the screens, there was an anime video played uh, featuring the five, each with their instruments as weapons, uh, and it is incredible. And actually, if you've got the Live from London DVD, you can watch just that, uh, just the animation. So do look out for it. I think it's on YouTube as well, probably. Dan, question for you. Mm-hmm. Have you ever used your instrument as a weapon? I did once knock someone out with my flute. With your flute? Mm. A small penny whistle. Anyway, uh, let's move on now to track number six. And here to introduce it is Dan. This one is Nightboat. 
Nightboat there, sometimes called Waiting for the Nightboat, to give it its full title. I love this one. Duran Duran have definitely got a darker side. You know, they've got their fun, upbeat pop anthems, but when they really get into it, they can be so moody, and it really shows with this one. The, my favorite part of this, I think, well, it's not even my favorite part of it, but what I love about this, again, as a band that some people labeled a sort of a pop pinup band, this song doesn't even get going with the lyrics until about two minutes in. You just get drawn into that atmospheric synth work. And also, we've talked about how amazing Nick is on the synths before. We'll talk about Simon's vocal, Andy on the guitar, John on the bass, but Roger on the drums, the beat he provides for this one, I think is phenomenal and really does a huge part in setting the scene. I really like the fact this takes ages to get going because just the title, Night Boat, do you imagine this... You know, it's a it's a very humid night on the jungle river as this creeps down with like lanterns on there, small flashlight at the front. Flashlight <laughs> at the front. <laughs> uh, I could see you were going to say something there, so I had to jump in. And, uh, no, no. and it's kind of slowly winding its way along a long murky river with all sorts of creepies and ghoulies in the way you're just making me think of probably when we're on some sort of river cruise in disneyland next year i don't know if that was your plan uh, there'll be no ghoulies getting in the way there hopefully not keep your trousers this... on <laughs> this is another one that was uh based on poetry written by Lebon, and this was influenced he was waiting for the night bus which, of course, only last week on the Feeling episode, we were talking about when I fell asleep on the night bus and woke up miles from home. Uh, yeah, we've all had experiences of waiting uh, an absolute eternity for a night bus. And especially you now, Will, moving out of the Metropolitan. How's, have you had an experience of that yet? No, because I'm uh, at home and in bed well before uh, night bus services start running. Even though everything's back open. Uh, and if I am, I will get a taxi. Mm. licensed taxi <laughs> because you never know what might happen otherwise be careful out there is what i would say now this one wasn't a single will but there was a video released for this one we know that duran duran were pioneers of the music video and of course this was around the time of mtv and they did release a vhs compilation uh, of videos of which this was one it's very, as you'd expect, it's a very moody video. Uh, and you do get to experience some Shakespeare recital as part of it. Oh, that's lovely. You do like to recite Shakespeare. I remember being around at yours a few times. You have a few wines in you and then you just suddenly get, get out a big book and start uh, just going on and on and on. And again, not to keep banging on about that Live from London show because they've done some wonderful tours since then. But it's another one that that they brought back. I guess when they were doing that tour and that set list, they were thinking about you know the work they created together and some of the songs that perhaps the band hadn't played 
for a while because of different lineups. Uh, but this one sounds phenomenal. And Simon comes out with this massive torch, blinding the audience. He's playing a part. He's an actor, Will. Do you know he appeared in uh, an advert for, I think it was Fairy Liquid, when he was a wee whippersnapper? Really? With Nanette Newman? Newman? I don't know who that is. Oh, dear. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> and to introduce the next song, it's Annette Newman. Nanette's just gone mute for a second because she's horrified. She doesn't know who you are. No, who you don't know who she is. She doesn't give a stuff who you are. Uh, so I'll do it. So track seven now. This is Sound of Thunder. And I called her Annette. <laughs> Thunder there. Uh, I love the synth and the bass line running through this. The bass line, and I don't know actually, uh, and I can't be asked to check, but I don't know if the killers were inspired by or sampled the bass line from this track because it does sound like something that's featured on their debut album. Well, they are huge fans of Duran Duran, aren't they? Uh, mm. Particularly Brandon. I know he's been very vocal about it. So, um, I don't know of any sampling, but I'm, you know, absolutely sure that that album and a lot of that sound was inspired by early Duran Duran. I think it was uh, Jenny was a friend of mine. Yeah, oh, that's probably my favourite one on the album. It's got a lovely lengthy outro. Yes, dreamy. Jenny Frost. This will quite possibly is my favourite song on the album. Certainly my favourite non-single on the album. I just think that it. Again, talking about some of the influences that the band brought to the table with this album, I think you can hear a lot of Georgia Moroder, uh, particularly on mm. the kind of synth, the kind of whirring synth that runs throughout this. But then when you get to the middle eight and you've got that clash of guitar and synth again, it's, you know, it's that battle of punk and disco. Um, and I think Duran Duran do that, that amalgamation of sounds better than anyone. Um, I think this could have been a single actually, Will. What do you think? I think it could have been, and that amalgamation is just right up our street as well, just to jump back a second. Well, it is, and do you know what? It's, it's you know, when we talk about a lot of new songs on Track by Track's new music drop on the last Saturday of every month, um, that's, a, you know, a lot of bands still still creating that sort of sound. And I'll tell you what as well, Will, Simon and Katty Krasner, um, who works with the band, they do a radio show on Sirius FM and they talk about a lot of the same artists we do because uh, they champion new bands, uh, including No Prism, who, of course, you know, I would say that kind of punk rock meets disco sound is very much them as well. And just your weekly reminder to any radio producers out there that we are available for radio. Yes, and quite cheap as well. Well, not too cheap. Well, take that offline. <laughs> so dan who is introducing track number eight so to introduce this one will it is the band's long-term collaborator and live guitarist don brown uh, next up is friends of mine 
This is a great song to play live. I, I love this one live. I've played it on quite a few occasions with the guys. It's quite dark, this one. Um, but it's, it's funky at the same time and it's got a very interesting lyric. Definitely a favourite with the fans and I know the band have a, have a strong connection with this. And um, yeah, I look forward to playing this one again live soon, hopefully. Friends of mine there. This is one of my favourite tracks on the album. Actually, I was just thinking, I said Sound of Thunder was my favourite non-single, but actually it might be this one. But certainly what I love about this album is that these, these this run of songs, this run of non-singles on side B of the album are so strong. Uh, and with this one, I just think it's almost quite unlike anything else on the album and almost quite unlike anything else they've done as well. Something about the structure of the song, about the beat, um, and also, but what does make it them is that, once again, no element of the band is hidden. Each member is getting to showcase their skills on their instrument. Um, that's that's why this works. That's why this album and the sound of theirs works. Five members standing proud. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bit basic even for us, wasn't it? Well, even for you. Now, well, this one, I'm not going to talk about the Live from London shows because this one didn't open those, but it did open the Astronaut Tour and some of the very early comeback shows uh, and is a fantastic show opener and is a fantastic live track. I haven't asked yet, Will. Have you seen Duran Duran Live yet? Do you know what, Dan? Uh, I am thinking now. I don't think I have, actually, which I, I hope is rectified pretty soon. Do you well, think it's you likely would, to? You would know if you... You wouldn't forget seeing them live, Will. And I think uh, it's definitely going to be rectified soon. The band, are, they've got some live shows this summer. Isle of Wight, Hyde Park, Scarborough Open open Fair? No, Scarborough Open Air Theatre. Um, but also, I think there are strong rumours that the band are going to be touring. <laughs> They're down the at the year. Scarborough Open Air Market on a Saturday morning. <laughs> They're doing open mic night. Actually, at the penny whistle and farthing. Ah, uh, cock and bull. Like most of my stories. So yeah, I think that will be rectified. Well, I cannot wait to see them again. I think I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, the next time I see them will be my tenth time. They are the band I've seen the most, but they just the show they put on, just phenomenal. And hopefully, Don Brown will be back on stage with them. Now we're on to the last track of the album proper. Uh, and this is... Is anyone introducing this one, Dan? Nah, just you. Just me. Okay, this is Tel Aviv.
Tel Aviv there, Dan. What an end to a fabulous album. It's a wonderful end, isn't it? It's so dramatic. Again, really different to what we've had before. And also the fact that they closed the album with an instrumental. I think once again, kind of affirming themselves as, you know, a real album band, real artist, real serious musicians. Again, not these not this smash hits boy band that some people might have wanted them to be. I, I think it's a wonderful piece of music. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Bros, I know they're big fans of the podcast. Sorry, I uh, hope I didn't offend you there, lads. But I love, I mean, the first time we've had some really pronounced uh, lengthy string work on a track, this album. Yeah, definitely. And I think I love how throughout their career, you know, they've, they've, they've always been a band that um, favours electronics and synth work. And obviously another influence we haven't talked about yet, craft work, for example. But there are some wonderful strings through their songs as well. Things like Ordinary World, uh, more recently Still Breathing, although that wasn't as recent as I might think it is. Um, but yeah, that's wonderful. I love it. Sometimes when you see them live as well and they have a small string section on stage, absolutely lovely. Now, Will, there is a very different version of this song as well. On really? The- yeah, on the special edition version of the album, uh, there was an Air Studio version released uh, back in 2010. And it's got lyrics, Will. It started out as a song with lyrics. Oh, you see, I really like the fact that this doesn't have any lyrics. The thing is, I would definitely recommend, if, and again, if you're listening to this episode and you haven't heard it, do give that a listen because not only does it have lyrics, it's actually pretty much a completely different song. But it's fantastic. The first time I heard that, I was blown away. Uh, Speaking of blown away, Dan, I must mention uh, how this album did and how it was received. Uh, And it was a huge debut hit. It got to number three uh, in the UK uh, album chart with over 300,000 sales. Uh, And it did phenomenally uh, in the US as well as in Australia and New Zealand as well. Wow. Uh, In terms of reception, it was very strongly reviewed and received. If I had to give it an average, I'd give it 8 out of 10, 4 out of 5, A minus, B plus, however you want to phrase it. But I think the general consensus was, the as, as you have very astutely said at the start, that kind of melange of genre... Uh, really brought it to life where it's bringing guitars, it's bringing disco, the emergence of the new romantic scene. Uh, They're really at the forefront of that. And so many other bands they paved the way for. Well done. Well done, lads. And thank you for the music and the memories. Ah, Careless memories. Careless whispers. Careless memories. Uh, that was like uh, when you got on the trampoline with that woman who wasn't wearing a bra <laughs> at the at the uh, fun fair at the Scarborough S- <laughs> covered end market. of piercing along <laughs> farmers market. Anyway, we're we're just rambling on like nonsense uh, as usual. But we've got some further listing, Dan, and I don't want to start. And in fact, I don't think you should start either. Well, then we should probably go to a member of Duran Duran. And we were lucky enough to hear from Roger Taylor. And we asked him, as you know, the rules for this week's further listening, of course, we're sticking to this first era of the band. We asked Roger to take a look at this too, 
of the special edition version and choose one of those fabulous uh, studio versions, live versions, B-sides, mixers, etc. So what did Roger pick? Let's find out. Hi, it's Roger Taylor here. My further listening song would be Waiting for the Night Boat. I just think it shows off the deeper, darker side of the band. You know, a nice contrast to the more upbeat, poppy stuff on the record. Still one of my favourite songs today from that early period. And I think it still sounds pretty good. That was Nightboat from the BBC Radio on Peter Powell session. And I think for all the reasons that we said Nightboat was a great song before, um, it is one that sounds as good, if not even better, live. Will, I just hope it's on the set list when you get to see them. Well, fingers crossed, because I would be delighted. Uh, I'm also delighted to now be in a position to share with you my further listening choice. Go on. And this is uh, Duran Duran covering... Fame. So that was uh, their cover of Fame, obviously from the musical of the same name. No, no, you've got your things mixed up, lovey. <laughs> oh, all of a tangle. No, of course, that was David Bowie. And I'd say of all the influences we've spoken about, David Bowie is the biggest influence on Duran Duran, so much so that they've also covered Boys Keep Swinging. They've covered Diamond Dogs. And more recently, earlier this year, they released their version of Five Years, which is stunning. Dan... Who is going to introduce your further listening choice? It is the legendary podcasting extraordinaire, me. So, well, for my further listening, I am going for the band's first ever B-side. This is Late Bar. So that was La 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 Late Bar. I just love how fun that song is. You've got the La 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 La's. Also, there's a party in room 7609. Why room 7609, Will? I don't know. Me neither. Um, oh, it but doesn't I, have a, does it have some sort of significance with the band? Well, do you know what, Will? I've never really looked into it. Um, but probably not. I'd say probably not. Uh, hesitating a guess there. But I think it does what a B-side should do. I think, it, you know, it's very much the sound of the band at this time. 
a great compliment to planet earth which started a bit more broody uh, and thoughtful perhaps but just a hell of a lot of fun yeah really good fun it's a lovely i always think about it as a bit of a sort of spiritual successor to girls on film in terms of style and sound as well that yeah the guitar on that one you know it starts with that very uh choppy guitar we're, we're out, out of, time. of time and we're out of time on the whole of this run of track by track so do let us know what you thought to our duran 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 episode at track by track uk and do take a moment to give us a rating and a review on apple podcasts and follow us whilst you're there as well because we will be back We will be back very soon and we're going to be back soon with some news and some updates to share with you about how we're taking track by track forward through the rest of 2021. So do watch this space wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, a huge thanks to everyone involved in this huge celebration of Duran Duran's debut album, the band themselves, but also Errol Alkin, Tor Paul, Hazel O'Connor, Dandy Warhols, Nile Rogers, Ian Little, MNDR, and Don Brown. And also big thanks to Sean Williamson as well. Well, he's going to sing us out as well. Mustangs! <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see you again soon for more Track by Track. Until then, I've been Georgie Davis. And I've been Giorgio Moroda. Goodbye. Goodbye. number four now and here to introduce it is strictly's ot mabusi <laughs> i love her really but she's on fan. everything at the moment <laughs> thanks very much to dom top there for friend- <laughs> introducing friends of mine and are you? I'm not a friend of yours, no. A colleague. <laughs> I'm a dog, a collie. Yeah. Wait, I said colleague. Did you say oh, do- colleague? I thought you said collie. Just we don't want to set an expectation now going forward that every album we do, there's going to be somebody talking about each track. I mean, that'd be lovely, but... Uh... I can't lie to you. Putting this episode together nearly killed me. So uh, I think we'll just stick to you and I going forward. Oh, it's quite disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, listeners. Might want to switch off. <laughs>